is there anything about getting to the top? I know you don't see it that way. I don't see it that way, but you've got a healthy family. You've got the great career. You've essentially got it all. What's surprising you about being in the place where you are right now? It's lonely. My kids are out of the house. So that whole beautiful energy that was in here is no longer. As you know, I just closed my practice two weeks ago. So I'm not around, you know, patients all day long. I'm on Zoom doing things, writing another book for Hay House. And I'm interacting with a lot of amazing people and I'm lonely. As you know, I'm trying to find what that next version is for me. In this episode, I'm meeting with Dr. Mindy Peltz, my dear friend, and we cover all the topics that all of us as women and moms think about, but don't always talk about. Whether it's mom guilt, worrying about our children and their future, or feelings of loneliness and being judged by other women. This is one you will not want to miss out on. So excited for you to hear this conversation and walk away inspired. Enjoy. I'm so excited to be here with you, Mindy. I love it. I'm so honored. I'm so excited for what you're doing. And yeah, so excited to be here. Thank you. So many people from all over the world know Mindy as Dr. Mindy Peltz. She's an insanely incredible health expert. She's a best-selling author, and she's on a mission to help a million people fast. I love that side of Mindy because Mindy, you always show up so authentic and real and thank you. I know everybody appreciates that. But addition to that, the side that I want to share with my audience and hopefully with your audience today is an even more deeper, more vulnerable side of Mindy the mom. Oh my God. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> uh, thank you. I appreciate that opportunity. Absolutely. So why don't we jump right in and go ahead and introduce us to your family? What's your family unit? Well, my nuclear family is, of course, my husband, Sequoia, and we've been married, I forget how many years he remembers and I forget, but literally we met when we were 21. So I'm 52 now. So that's how long we've been together. And then uh, our oldest is Bodhi. Our daughter is 22 and our son just turned 20, Paxton. I have no idea how my kids are that old. Like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, how did that happen? Where did it go? How can I be that old? <laughs> Is there an age that you're frozen at in your mind? Like in yes. my mind, I'm 26. I don't know why that number. Oh my God. That's so funny. I always say 25. I feel really frozen, which is weird because now I feel like my kids are my age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. You guys are kind of buddying up with all the stuff that you're starting to do together. Yeah, we are buddying up and relationships are changing. You know, when you don't have to be in that constant parental role, you have to find a new way. And it's been really interesting, especially with Bodhi. She's tr- getting more comfortable just talking about her her life and not having to censor it for her parents to hear. I said to her the other day, I was like, I have no judgment on your life at all. Like you are on your own. We've taught you everything we can teach you. You live your life. I am not judging it. So there's nothing to censor around me because I'm just in in pure support of whatever you do. That's amazing. It's got to be so neat to get to that time. And I know that's part of what we want to talk about today. So, you know, one of the things that I love about you as my friend is you're someone that I constantly lean on, whether I'm going through challenges with work or challenges in parenting, you're someone who always shows up really real. It's like, you've been through challenges, you've been through obstacles in the world right now. That's just full of filters and Instagram and showing up perfectly. You're like, no, it was crazy and nuts and hard. And this is how I got through those moments. What I feel whenever we get to talk about those things is I know I'm not alone. 
Mm. And I think that's so important for us women this day and age is to know that we're not alone. So now, you know, particularly with your kids at the ages they're at, you're kind of at this other side of parenting. And so I'm curious, as you look back, what are some of the foundations that you feel have gotten you through? It's such a great question. The first thing I would say is I look back and I'm like, wow, did I worry a lot too, uh, so much more than I needed to worry. You know, I think it's really common that we future trip, right? We do sort of this, oh my God, my kid's got this behavior at seven. And now if I don't fix it as the parent, I'm going to end up with that behavior at in as an adult. And that's going to be my fault. I mean, now- I don't know if other people felt that, but I definitely went through many moments of that. But what I love that we did, I am getting a little more of a perspective on what we did right, which is really exciting as opposed to when you're in the thick of it, you're constantly looking at what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that Sequoia and I did early on is we were very clear on the values we wanted to instill in our children. And there were a couple key ones. Compassion was huge. Just really wanted our kids to to have compassion for all different types of people, backgrounds, beliefs, like really be open to that. And then I would say the other big one was love of learning. Like find what excites you and do more of that and study more of that. So, so many dinner conversations we've had over the years of really, really deep information. And I, and I even saw this Paxton turned 20 last week and we were at the, um, we were celebrating his birthday and I look over and he and Bodhi are like philosophizing about like the stars or space or something like that. And they're in their own little conversation, the two of them. And I couldn't have been more proud. I was like, wow, like the depth in which they think is really exciting. And then the last one I would say that we really instilled was family's important. Relationships are important. Friends are important. Prioritize relationships over anything else. And I see those three things totally show up in them now. Those are all incredible foundations to build a family on. I love those. And I have seen all those things in your kids for sure. But I would imagine as you're raising them and you're going through the crazy busy moments of mom life that there had to have been times that you were like, what am I doing? I know we all feel like we're doing our best to make sure our kids are healthy and happy and good human beings. And, you know, what were some of the challenges that maybe you went through, if you could share them with your kids that you felt like things weren't going to work out and how did you guys get through that? Well, my favorite one is I, if we just take the compassion, I mean, that was literally like one of my biggest things with my kids is like, be compassionate to other humans. And Paxton, when he was around four, he was the opposite of compassion. He was the the little boy you took to the party or you went on vacation with friends. And he was like a tyrant, like stubborn, didn't want to share. He would throw, you know, he would constantly like throw tantrums. And many of our friends had um, had. Uh, girls. And he was sort of the boy, the only boy in a friend group of all these girls. And our, my friends would be like, what is wrong with your child? Literally, there would be like criticism about how hard he was to have around. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to tell you that if you met the man, the man he is now, he is so kind. He is so gentle. And I, when I tell people the story that see him now, they all go, I don't believe it. And I'm like, yeah, but if you go and talk to my friends that lived it with me, they will tell you 
how hard he was to be around. And I will tell you how much criticism I got of like, you're not disciplining him enough. You're not, you know, what's wrong with your child. I mean, those were tough, tough years raising him. And those are the moments. I mean, we've all been there, the grocery store meltdown, like the birthday party, all of that stuff, you know, having the kid that's like pulling things from the kids or God forbid, hitting another kid. And you're like, you're one, trying to figure out how to navigate this as a parent. You're two, feeling like everyone is staring and judging at you. I have to tell you one story because this is the one that was like the craziest parenting moment. And I don't think I've ever told you this, but when he was about maybe five or six, we had a neighborhood boy over at our house and they decided to put Bodie's hamster in one of those little balls Mm -hmm. and play catch with it. (gasps) Oh my God. And I walked into the room and there was blood inside the the ball. And I was like, what are you doing? And they were like, we're playing, we're, we're throwing whatever the hamster's name, I don't even remember around. And I, I lost it. I lost it. And I was like, sent the boy home. I find Bodie and I'm like, you're, I'm taking your hamster to the, to the hospital mm-hmm. because I don't think it's going to make it. So I'm like, all I can think is my kid's going to turn into Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, like, of course. Like, right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like animals. He's hurting animals. <laughs> I get to the vet and I'm like bawling. I'm like the hamster, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, all that happened was there was a little cut on the hamster's penis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said to the vet, how did you find its yeah. penis? I just yeah. want to know that. And they like, and they're like, it's going to hurt for the hamster to pee. Mm-hmm. So we give the hamster some pain medication, but it'll be just fine. Not a big I, deal. Literally in that moment, I was like, he's going to, he's going to be a mass murderer. Yeah. Like, you future tripped. Like you yeah. said, like you make it, we take these moments yeah. that are hard enough as they are. And our, our little children are navigating all these emotions and we make it about us. Is it about, oh my gosh, I preach compassion. I preach love. I preach health and hear my kids begging for McDonald's. Like who cares? It's not about us. It's about them. And I think you've even said they're, they're not versions of us. They're their own little beings. Right. And so they're here to teach us something. And I think you and I talked about this. One of my favorite parenting pieces of information that helped me was Cahill Gibran has a, The Prophet. It's a beautiful book. And one of the passages in it says that our kids are not us. They come through us. And I think that really helped me let my kids figure out their own way. Like Bodie's very out of the box. She is not, she's never been, never able to play by the rules of society. And so fostering that, understanding how to help her succeed in a society that is very, you know, A plus B equals C. We're in Silicon Valley where it's very success driven. And it's, you know, you do go to school, get the job, get the house. And Bodhi doesn't play by those rules. So understanding that, knowing that this is her journey, not my journey has been really helpful. What were some of, you know, just growing up with all those challenges and like them, you know, doing what they want to do and them being them and expressing themselves. Did you guys have like non-negotiables or family values that you really leaned into? Like, okay, we're fine. We're fine if you do this, but not this. Like what were those, those massive strongholds for you guys? There were a lot of non-negotiables. So for starters, let's let's go back to Paxton. I wanted to make sure that I raised a boy who would turn into a man that was kind and considerate to women that knew how to speak and stay in relationships, didn't withdraw. So we did a lot of like when he would throw a tantrum, I would actually put him next to me and I was like, look me in the eye 
because when you look me in the eye, that tells me that you're listening to me. And so there were so many times that I had, I sat him down and I would sit on the floor with him. And I'm like, I know you want to run right now, but I really want you to just sit with me and let's talk about what you're feeling. So that was, that was a non-negotiable. If there was a conflict, we didn't run from it. I did the same thing with Bodhi. Like we sat and we worked it out. Another non-negotiable was, was health. Health was a priority. And so you and I have talked about this food, like in our house, we're going to eat very clean food and we don't bring bad food into the house. And when we go out of the house, we had different food rules because you're in the rest of the world with friends, et cetera. But our food has been such a high priority that before Bodhi went to college and even Paxton, I was like, you have to understand you're going to see what it feels like to eat that other food and you're not going to love it. So let's talk about what we can do when you get into that spot. And so we've navigated those, but yeah, health was a non-negotiable resolving conflict with it was a non-negotiable. Those were kind of the biggies. I imagine you surrounded yourself with like-minded community for the most part, as you were raising the kids and eating a certain way in particular, how did you guys navigate if other parents or other families or other kids would talk about depriving them by not giving them pop soda, whatever you want to call it, cake, all the things that typical kids get to eat. I remember one time there was like, we were in the car and Bodhi was still in a car seat. So she was in the back. And so she must've been about four. And I had dropped her off at a babysitter who had fed her a Twinkie or something like that. (laughs) And so she says to me at Monique's, they don't eat organic. Like that was the only word she had. And I was like, yes, they don't. She's like, how come we can't not eat organic sometimes. Like she, it was like her way of being like, why can't we do that? And so what I said was, here's what I know, Bodhi, is that I've done a lot of research on the foods we eat and how they make us feel. And I just want to make sure that we eat foods that make us feel really good. Mm -hmm. So not every family has done that research. And so this is why I have chosen to eat the foods and bring these foods into the house is because I know they're going to make us feel the best. So I would always bring it back to, I've done the research. I've uh, this, I, I, I love you so much. I want to make sure that you get the best food. So it, they didn't see it as a deprivation. They saw it as, oh, my mom's really smart. My mom actually is thinking this through. So when they're in that scenario, it wasn't as, um, it wasn't as hard for them to navigate. Mm -hmm. And then how did they do when they left the house? Did they stick to that kind of eating? Did they experiment? Did they drink? Did they oh other yeah. maybe not oh, so yeah. healthy things? No. They, or did I they mean, re- live this peaceful, organic, perfect life? No, you know what? This is what I'm gonna say is they went, you know, 180 degrees opposite, um, because that's what you do. But they both are, are coming back to the values that I set for them. Bodhi's in her apartment for the first time, and you know, she, we're navigating how to get her the best food on the budget that she has. She's understanding the different how she feels when she eats out compared to being at home. So she's coming back to those roots. Paxton has actually got quite a knack for cooking. They both actually do. He'll go over to her house. This is another sweet mommy moment. He'll go over to her house and they cook together. And so he loves to cook. So he's now in his own apartment and he's learning how do I buy food that is better. So they're coming back to it, but those call it those like from, I don't know, 15 to 20, there's definitely a rebellion and you just have to sort of sit tight because they'll come out the other side. If you laid the foundation, they'll come out the other side. Mm -hmm. And what helped you during those years to 
to get through because you didn't necessarily know it was going to work didn't out. Know that, yeah. Oh gosh, I I don't. I feel like I future tripped so much. I think knowing the support of people who had been through it really helped. Knowing that I was raised in a family where my mom was such a nutrition Nazi, that's the way I would call her. Like we introduced rice cakes to the elementary school. <laughs> like when everybody was eating Wonder Bread, my sister and I were bringing rice cakes to the school. You know, this is in the 70s. Like nobody ate rice cakes in the 70s. So I knew that I, I saw my own trajectory. So I had the thought that maybe they would come out the other side. But for me personally, it was, you know, talking to other parents, leaning into the support of other moms. And then what's really interesting with your kids at that age is their friends really matter. So as they chose new friend groups, I would look at those friend groups and be like, okay, we're good. We're, I, you know, I, this new friend group prioritizes health, prioritizes food. We're going to be fine. But when she was in college and she had friend groups that were very toxic emotionally and physically, I, that was where I was the most worried. And I would just always keep my eye out for who she was hanging out with. And I would compliment her if she hung out with somebody really awesome. I'd be like, oh, you know what? You That relationship looks so fun. Like I would try to really emphasize what that relationship might be doing for her. But yeah, that those are the years friends really kick in. Yeah. I remember, you know, one of the things I've asked you because I've watched your kids come back and hang out at your home, you know, even from a distance, just in conversation, what did you do to create that? Because I want that. I want to know my kids' friends. Yeah. I want to be kind of keeping an eye to make sure their values align. How did you instill that safe place for your kids that they enjoyed coming to? I know your home has been the house that their friends hung out at, you know, they all yeah. gravitated towards. So how did you create that? It's such a great question. So the first thing is you have to be flexible. So when the friends come over, it was like, you know, if the music got played a little loud or as they became teenagers, they were staying up late in the backyard, maybe upsetting the neighbors. Like we ne needed to find a rhythm with that and not be like, we're not the house that is like, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. It was, we've been the house that is like, okay, so you want to do this. Let's see how we can make that work for everybody, including the neighbors, including us. So, so there was that the second piece, when the friends would come over, I would chat with them just like they were my friends. Our house was packed with teenagers. And a lot of it is because we created a safe space. We've been more flexible and loving and not the house that has a bazillion rules. We've been that we've really tried to set the tone that the more the merrier you can come into our space. You are loved by everybody. You can feel comfortable here. You can be yourself. And, and that required sometimes we had to put up with late nights. We had to put up with loud music. We had to put up with more kids in our house than we might want. I had to put up with dirty kitchens that I would wake up to in the morning. If you come into my house, my hardwood floors are completely decimated from all the, the amount of kids that have come in and out of our home. So I do not live in a designer home. You can't when it's a home, no. right? right. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So we've spent a bit of time touching on some really nice things through your parenting journey that have really helped that you feel have gotten you to that place and that you've done right. And I have to ask that a little bit more of a sensitive question as a mom, because we all go there. Are there things that you regret Ooh, um, as a mom, a question. Yeah. the mom guilt, right? That oh, we all have. Yeah. Is this where you're going to make me cry? <laughs> I have an obsessive brain. When I lock onto something, 
it's hard for me to think about anything else. It's just the way my brain works. And early on, we just made the decision that I had more income potential than my husband at that moment. And so he stayed home and I was the primary breadwinner, which also meant that I just poured my heart and soul into my practice. I poured my heart and soul into my virtual world that I created. And there were times I didn't show up for my kids the way I wanted to show up. And I wasn't always at every sporting event. I wasn't at every singing event and play at school, but Sequoia was. He was there and I knew that the kids were supported because he was there. And when Bodie was going off to school, I remember saying to Sequoia, I feel like I'm entering that song, the Cats in the Cradle song, where as they're growing up, you're like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And then all of a sudden you have time and your kids say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I get Bodhi says to me a lot. I don't have time to come and connect with you. And I think, yeah, because I modeled that for you. I modeled. I don't have time. I said, I can't do that. I don't have time. I can't be there. And so I would have worked a lot less. I would have been a lot more present. Um, if I could have made that work, I would have, I would have done that. So I think for Bodhi, that has been the hardest thing for us to navigate. We've since had some really cool experiences where she's been able to tell me like that she would get home from school and her period was horrible that day. And she was bleeding all over her pants and she had cramps and Sequoia was the one that picked her up from school or Sequoia was the one there to talk to her. And I wasn't, she needed a mother in that moment. And, um, I wasn't there and that's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. So she and I are having th those conversations now. And I've been explaining why that was and why I chose, why I was the working parent in a world where there wasn't a lot of working moms and dads that stayed home. We've been able to have those conversations now. But when she was in her college years, she really pushed against me and, re as you know, was really, really hard on me from about 17 to 20. She, she really, we just fought all the time. And now I, and a large part of that is because I think she was hurt that I was the working parent. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's. Yeah. That's not always easy to say, and we all have mom guilt. And Mind, I know you have been an incredible role model, incredible role model to your children. You. And I know you've done everything you've done for them. Yeah, thank you. And we can't do it all as women, as moms, we can't. And so yeah. we have to choose our non-negotiables. Yeah. You chose what set your heart on fire. Yeah. And that's what we should all do. In addition to being there, you know, for your children and supporting your family. I came from a home where my mom chose not to follow a career and to be home all the time. And that was amazing and beautiful. And, you know, I got to have the mom at the school play and all those things. And I'm so thankful and grateful for that. And I look up to her all the time for the kind of mom that I want to be at the same time. I have a passion and a fire that I want to follow. That means so much to me. Mm -hmm. And I want to have a life outside of my children so that they know my life isn't just about them. That's really important to me. Yeah, I don't want them to worry when they move out that I'm going to fall apart. And my point in saying this is one, we can't do it all. We can't beat ourselves up for what we did. Yeah. Or if we're going to, we at least have to give ourselves credit for the gifts that that gave our children as well. Yeah. And I've created other role models in my life of women that are moms and have a strong career because I've needed that. You're one of them. I've told you that yeah. before. 
Thank you. And so Bodhi will surround herself with other women who teach her the other things that, you know, maybe her mom couldn't like, we can't be the one to give our kids all these life lessons. Being a mom is hard enough. That is so much pressure. You're an incredible mom. You're so sweet. And, you know, I would say now as Bodhi and I are, are really entering into a new place with our relationship and I'm seeing how the kids are building this beautiful adult life. I feel like, okay, what I did, the environment I created was good. But if you, if we had had this conversation four years ago, I literally would walk around and people would say, oh, you're so successful. And I would say, not as a parent. I felt like I had failed as a mom for so many years. And a lot of that was because I judged myself against the moms that were there, the moms that did pick their kids up that were at every sporting event, were at every play that could brush off every skinned knee. I remember one time Bodhi saying to asking me to sew something for her and I don't know how to sew. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And she's, she got so mad at me and said, well, Justine's mom would do it. Mm, Of course. And I was like, (laughs) well, I am not Justine's mom. And, but it, but that's the, you know, that was the comparison that I had is so much of my friend group are spectacular stay at home moms. And that's what my kids grew up around. And so I constantly, constantly felt like a mother failure. I never feel like I could, I did it right for my children. And you know, a lot of those women are looking up at you and what you're doing and judging themselves as well. Like it's just this, this thing that we all do and it doesn't serve anyone and we continue to do it. I'm so glad you're seeing the other side of it because we've been friends and I've kind of watched you through this journey while you were going through it. And I know I'll go through it too, you know, for any moms that have teenagers out there. I mean, Bodhi was mean like downright mean to me for years as she tried to navigate. And and I think the way that I look at it is that she was trying to find her own identity. And when you have a very strong mom in the household, it's hard to find your own identity because you think you want to take on mom's identity. And yet what she would tell me is I can't live up to you. I can't be you. So we had a lot of years where she was like, well, you're a success. So then I must be a failure. And that was a lot of what happened in her college years. And we had so many tears, so much fighting. It was so hard. And now I look at us and I'm like, wow, we're really coming into this beautiful relationship. So for the moms that are struggling with with a teenager, know they come out the other side and you just have to keep your own sanity in it. So huge. Good tips for sure. Okay. I want to touch on one last thing. I want to make sure that we have time to hit it. So just kind of speaking of, you know, your big identity as a career woman, I know a lot of people, like I said, the beginning know you as Dr. Mindy Peltz and with your incredible platform, you're serving millions of people. You're a best-selling author. I've seen you on TV. You're now supporting and working with some elite celebrities and athletes. And I want to ask, is there anything about, I'll say, getting to the top, right? I know you don't see it that way. I don't see it that way, but you've got a healthy family. You've got the great career. You've essentially got it all. What's surprising you about being in the place where you are right now? It's lonely. My kids are out of the house. So that whole beautiful energy that was in here is no longer, as you know, I just closed my practice two weeks ago. So I'm not around, you know, patients all day long. I'm on Zoom doing things, writing another book for Hay House. And I'm interacting with a lot of amazing people and I'm lonely. 
as you know, I'm trying to find what that next version is for me. It also, I was thinking about this the other day. I woke up yesterday and I thought in one year, my life changed more dramatically than it has in the 52 years that I've been alive. In this past year, you know, everybody had the massive change in the pandemic. Mine came over the last year. And I don't recognize my day-to-day. And so I feel a little lost. I feel lonely. And one of the things about being in the public eye, for me, at least in the platform that I am, is that you get judged. So you have to learn to have a thick skin. And what has helped me through all of that is my mission. That's the thing that pulls me out every single day is to focus on How can I serve? How can I serve? Stop making it about yourself, Mindy. But it's weird. It's a very surreal world I'm living in right now. And it's very lonely. Thank you also for that. Thank you for going deep and sharing that feelings of lonely and being judged. I know our things for different reasons, right? We all feel them for different reasons, but those are very, very familiar feelings as a mom. Yeah. Whether it's the newborn phase. And I was supposed to love this and I don't love this and I'm lonely. I'm surrounded and I'm exhausted and I'm lonely or your kids are a little older and they're out of the house at school, you know, all day and you're lonely and you go to pick up and you feel like the moms are judging you, whether it's because your clothes or the sports you're doing or not doing. I feel like every phase, at least that I've been through so far as a mom, I have felt often lonely and judged. And so why don't we just briefly touch on maybe a few of the things that we go to each day that help? Cause those feelings are deep and intense. And I know we both go in and we yeah. feel them because we're committed to growth. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other things that we do to get through. Well, so you know what the thing I think that's helpful and you're such a big piece of this is you got to build your tribe. I have an, you know, a really strong tribe of people that when I'm feeling like, upside down. That's the best way I can say it. The thing about the world that I'm in is I just don't want to get addicted to the follows and the likes and the comments. I don't want to have to have my happiness be determined by positive comments on my YouTube channel versus negative. So I really am focused on grounding myself. So I think having people around that I can say I'm lonely, I can say, oh, it's hard right now. Um, like I, uh, the other day, I don't know if it was you or somebody, I I said, I'm so tired of going to my Instagram and seeing my freaking face. Like, I don't want to see my own face anymore. It's exhausting. Um, (laughs) and then you judge your face. Like, you know, when it comes through on social media, you're like, did I really wear that that day? Did I really look like that that day? But I think it's my inner tribe. And I would say more, more specifically, I think it's in, it's surrounding us ourselves with women who are collaborative, not competitive, that lift us up and and cheer us on when we win and support us when we lose. That has been so key. I didn't even have that when my kids were little. There was so much comparison in the parent world. But now, you know, there's about five of you that are my go-tos that when I'm down, I call, I box you guys. And it's so cool to have women that are excited when you something amazing happens to you mm-hmm. and are so real with you when you're you, when you can just be down and out and they support you that's a really hard characteristic i think for women don't you think i 100% do there someone once said it this way to me and i loved it they said you'll have three types of friends those that suck so you know those people you're around and you're just like tired like an energy yeah. suck those that support you 
which you need. I'm going through something hard and I need to lean on someone. I find for a woman, that's the easiest person to find. Yes. Easiest relationship. We want to help one another. But the third one, people who stretch you, people who celebrate your wins, people who want you to grow. I think that is a really unique quality in a woman. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, if you look at like the women that are, you know, you know, many of the women that, that are in my inner circle, they, they actually fit all three of those. Don't you think like, you know, I would say even our relationship, like, I feel like if I have a big win and I send you a message, like you're genuinely as happy as I am for that win. Yeah. And when I have a really down moment, you are like right there to lift me up. And when I'm maybe not being the best version of myself, you come in and you're like, hey, have you thought about this, this, and this? Mm -hmm. That to me is the quality of friendship that really helps all women, no matter, you know, if you're visible or not. I think that is something that we should always be doing with each other. Definitely huge. One of our friends I know says joy inclusion. Joy inclusion. I love joy inclusion. Tell me when you have something great. Like, it's amazing. I love that. It's so cool. It's so cool, especially in a world where as women, we compete, we don't collaborate. I This has been one of my new missions is like, how do we get women to unite? Because, and to unite in a way of celebrating other women, as opposed to, oh, that woman's got is prettier than I am. That woman drives a nicer car than I do. That woman is a better parent than I am. Like, why don't we do that as women? I don't know. I feel like it's changing. I think there's a movement changing of empowering women. I mean, you're helping to lead that for sure. The other thing I know you and I are both leaning into this year is when we're feeling those feelings of loneliness or judgment, we're going in. So as you know, both of us are busy bees, I know, and it's really easy to distract ourselves from feelings. And instead we're choosing to go in. Why are we feeling this feeling of loneliness, right? So like meditation, some breath work, what are some of your go-tos right now for going in? Well, one that I've never really used in my whole entire life, and I've done more of this year is cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally, a good one. I have cried more this year. And, and I think the best way I can, can the example I can give is I think up until this year, anytime something negative hit, I always gave it a positive spin so that I could move myself out of it. But there was so many things changing over the last year for me that provided grief that I just decided it's too overwhelming. I'm just going to sit here and grieve. And so I have sat in my morning time and cried. I use music sometimes to like invoke that emotion. You know, when I had to write an email to my practice saying that I was closing it to my patients, I put on some of the sappiest music because I just was like, okay, go for it. You mm-hmm. need to go all into this emotion. Stop being Pollyannish. Stop trying to change it. Just go all into it. What I found is when I went all into the grief, I actually came out of the other side much easier. So that's been a big piece. But then really looking within that my priority for me right now is just personal growth. That is the only thing that lights me up. And so a lot of meditation, a lot of listening to other mindsets. I interviewed uh, John D. Martini this week and he had some, he's, you know, he's such an interesting (laughs) dude and he had some really interesting ways of looking at like anxiety and depression. So now I'm like geeking out on his information. So I finally have time for that and I can put it in on myself, but I think it's doing it different than I've ever done it um, has been. And like allowing my life, my emotional life 
to be messy. Which is so important. You know, we both know as health practitioners that if we don't feel it and yeah. we just move past it and distract ourselves and poly in it, it literally sits in us. I mean, that, yeah. that becomes disease that becomes potentially cancer. We have to yeah. get those emotions out. And I know we've used the analogy as well. It's like birth, right? Yeah. So we could be experiencing these major contractions and surges. And when I was delivering all three kids, I remember being like, just, I just want to go around it. I don't want to go through it. Like I just want to get to the other side. And I think of that a lot when I'm going through emotional struggles, like just let me pour my heart into work. Let me pour my heart into anything but this. Let me have a glass of wine. Like, let me just forget about it. And now I know we're both going through. It's like head on. You said that to me the other day. That was so helpful. You you were like, think of this like labor. You're right. When you're in labor and you're birthing something new, which is what I feel like I am doing in my life right now is totally... I mean, my identity as a parent has changed. My identity as a doctor has changed. My identity as a author and a health influencer, all of that has changed dramatically in a year. And it's really uncomfortable. And so you said to me, think of it like labor. Like you, how many times do we want labor to be over? <laughs> so it's not, but you birth something totally new. And I think that is that was like such an important thing for me to accept that I can be messy, I can be vulnerable, it can be painful, and it, all of that could be really good. I know the other thing you do after you sit in it, and I love this, is you move it, right? Mm -hmm. So like you'll spend time sitting in it, crying, grieving, and then I know you, you pour yourself into your health. Your health really grounds you. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does that look like? So you're crying, you're upset, you're maybe depressed, maybe someone wouldn't want to peel themselves off the couch. What gets you to that next step? Gosh, well, for starters, what I'm learning is to see the emotion through. Um, do you know that book, Burnout? Have you no. ever? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a great book. And I interviewed the woman on my podcast and her her thought, and it, and it makes sense, is that when we have a lot of stress, if we don't let our body fully play out that stress, we just move on to the next thing, we sweep it under the carpet, that it builds in the body. And that's one of the things that builds disease. Mm. So when I'm on the couch and I'm crying and I don't want to get off the couch. I just let myself sit there until I'm ready to get off the couch. So that, you know, giving myself permission to be there for several hours until I move through it. The other thing I've learned about myself is I'm a verbal processor. So when it's things are confusing in my head, I actually need to get with other women that I know support me and talk about it. And, and help me through it. And usually that's done on the couch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then the last thing that's worked is movement. I, I can't tell you how much walking I've done this year. Like put some music on, get, get on the phone with a girlfriend and talk and walk. That has been my go-to so much this year. Yeah. And I can tell when we're going back and forth, when you're walking, you're so clear. Like we do that movement, that blood flow, I feel just helps us get through those challenges. Yep. It takes that cortisol and adrenaline that sometimes can come up and just yep. moves it and, and uses it. I think you yeah. use it to lose it because you don't want that to stay in you. It's hard for me. I, I want to instantly a negative emotion comes in. I want to flip it and make it positive. So one of my mottos this year has, I have a phrase for myself that I'm coming out of the numb. Mm. And I think for so long being a working parent, I just numbed myself up with work. I numbed myself up with wine. I numbed myself up with distractions of all kinds. 
And this year I'm really conscious that when something hits me and it's painful that I stay and I don't numb it out. Mm. And I think that's actually made me grow more now than ever. So, but it, it's, I'm getting better at it. Don't you think? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I love it. That's, I mean, that's really what I want this platform to be. I want this to be a place where women can come and hear about other people going through these intense feelings, these intense emotions, and not just distracting themselves from it, but here's how I got through. Here's how I navigated when my son threw his hamster and there's blood everywhere. Like these are the things that we're all experiencing and not avoiding them, not pretending they're not there and just getting into the busyness of life. So thank you for that. Um, I want to leave everybody with maybe one last thought. So what would be like your biggest piece of advice for all the moms of all the kids of different ages and even just women in general on here? Oh, for the moms, I just want to say it all works out. It all works out. All the stressors that you, sleepless nights you had about your kids doing X, Y, and Z, it all works out. And I think as as moms, our number one goal is to instill values and make sure those ki- our kids have really good, strong values. I see it in them now and it's so beautiful. Now, do they have perfect lives? No, but I see the values in there. So don't worry, you know, stop. I worried so much. And, you know, for women in general, I feel like right now is our moment. I'm seeing a shift in the way women are, are showing up. Um, we, if I've done some research recently that when we look at the different phases that women have gone through, through the century, we used to be in a matriarchal world in the BC years. And in that matriarchal world, intuition, ceremony, relationships was really highlighted. And then we, after the, you know, in the 80 years that we've been in, we went into way more of a patriarchal world where it's been very, women do this, men do that. And it's been very linear. And I feel like as women, we've been trying to thrive in this patriarchal environment. But if you look at our hormones, we're so dramatically different than men that being in that type A driven rushing woman life is, is, doesn't serve us physically, mentally, or emotionally. So I like this idea now that we're going to integrate the patriarch and the matriarch. I think for women, we need to, we need to really highlight our intuition. We need to prioritize relationships. We need to know that we have some incredible superpowers that we come equipped with. So instead of pushing those aside, how do we highlight those and how do we support other women? So that's really the vision I have now for the world. I love that. I've never heard it described that way. Like I have chills and that movement is absolutely coming and a lot of it's here. And I know that you're on a path to leading that. And so, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I actually have a new thought that if you put a room of really smart women who were all ovulating at the same time, so all their hormones were at their peak, you put them in a room, I think we could solve any world problem there is. A hundred percent. You're totally right. Yep. And we could all be on the same schedule too. We would just live in a house for like a month, sync up. Yep. And then red tent it. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like estrogen gives us incredible mental clarity. Testosterone gives us motivation and drive and progesterone chills us out a little bit and calms us. So when you put, get all those hormones surging during ovulation and you put all these amazing women together, I don't even, 
I, I can't even imagine what we'd be able to solve. It's huge. Yeah. I'm going to have a guest on a future podcast that breaks it down week by week, Love knowing it. what each week in your cycle pushes you on a trajectory towards is so huge. Yeah, so so huge. huge. And when you yeah. lean into that, it's like, okay, this is my week to nurture. I don't want to do anything. This is my week where I'm going to have massive ideas and creation and like, want to get this out on paper. Yes. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited. Well, Mindy, thank you so, so much for sharing your time and your gifts. I know you've got an awesome book coming out later this year, Fast Like a Girl. We're going to make sure to put everything in the show notes of where people can find you, all of your inspirational health platforms, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. I, this is, I feel like this was a Voxer conversation gone live. So appreciate the opportunity. Keep up the good work because this is the world needs to, to hear what you're doing with this podcast. It's such a great concept. So thank you. Thank you, Mindy. I really enjoyed that time with Mindy. I hope you did too. She is such a wealth of information. I really want to make sure that we get this information out to as many moms and women as possible because this has the ability to positively impact their lives. We all know that when we show up better, everyone around us benefits. So if you could just share some love, go ahead and leave a five-star review on whatever platform you enjoyed this podcast. That way we can get this information out to more moms just like you. Thanks so much. 